She hands me this piece of paper and it was the bank repossessing our house. And that was the day that we became homeless. Who am I now? I'm this person that is like self-educated. Um, you know, I'm the dropout from high school. The reason why I work so hard is because I never want my family to ever go through that again. I was already in control of my destiny. I was like, I just got to double down and I got to work. And so I just put my head down um, and, and I work. If you really want to be successful, you've got to be prepared to sleep on a couch. Never treat yourself. So I live by this philosophy. So I, I just basically sold my business. I celebrated with a cup of black English breakfast tea. Business is a full contact sport. It's a war zone. The easiest way to differentiate you to your competitor for your better quality is how? Fucking price. I've got to give you a bonus point. You have to read. If someone wants a one thing lesson, it's that the biggest opportunity for disruption in the accounting industry is just quickly before we get started guys if you've been enjoying the podcast can i please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing whatever platform you've been listening it really helps the podcast grow all right we're back we were just talking before we started about the intricacies in fucking what's that word i'm trying to say intricacies intricacies of running a podcast and they record limits on canon so we got that underway we're all good we've got my good friend Someone I consider a friend and a mentor, Kobe Simmet. Um, we've we've known each other for a few years now, but we were just talking. We haven't caught up for a while, so I'm so interested to pick your brain about so many different things. I got a bunch of questions for you. You're a very wise and experienced man. Still young though, still kicking it. So we're not going to go there. But Kobe, um, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're extremely busy. It. Tell a little bit. Tell people who you are and what you do. I know you've built this amazing business over the last decade plus with best practice and there's been some exciting updates there so yep. before we start let people know who you are what you do um he's also the host of the talking business with kobe simmett podcast that i yep. was on yep. maybe a year ago or so yep. a little bit over so he's that puts out that much content so you can check him all out but for <laughs> people who have no idea about you kobe tell us a little bit about who you are what you're about and in your business yeah look um it, it goes back to uh 1994 mm -hmm. and um I was in the kitchen with my mum, and these these and, and it's a. I'll make a really long story really short. You know, we're in this battle axe driveway. You know, down the back of this long driveway, these people come walking down the driveway in suits. Yeah, and like there's a dude in kind of a uniform, look kind of looks like a police officer, and these people in suits. And and you know, mum and dad had this beautiful home. It was a waterfront. You know, wharf out the front, boat on a mooring out the front. Beautiful view of the river, um, absolutely fantastic. And we're kind of looking out. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. We're looking out. And these guys come down our driveway. Anyway, you hear this thump, thump, thump on the front door. And, you know, the dog starts barking and I bolt down the stairs because I was like, ah, oh, something's not right. You know, something wrong with dad or I don't know what's happening. It's kind of like, ah, what's going on? And you, you kind of, your gut starts to churn and turn into this incredible knot. Anyway, I, I bolt down the stairs and, and, and run if you, if you don't know what bolting is. Um, anyway, I thought I'd try to race my mum to the front door. I was 18, 18 years old. And um, anyway, my mum's downstairs. She's beat me to the front door. Anyway, she's opened the front door and there's this guy in this blue uniform and I kind of spot the badge. He's a sheriff. And then there's this dude in this kind of like, you know, nylon suit that's sticking to his legs because he's got static electricity and my mum's in tears. And I'm like, what's up, mum? What's up? And she's like, she hands me this piece of paper and it was the bank repossessing our house. And that was the day that we became homeless. And, and, and then we basically just, you know, scraped and, and, you know, we didn't go bankrupt, but we lost our house. Our family lost everything and we were homeless. And that was 1994. And, and so we had to kind of figure out what was going on and kind of investigate the situation. The reality was interest rates were screaming. My dad's business went pear-shaped. We, the construction industry collapsed. 
And my dad was one of the most incredible architects. He was an incredible builder, incredible at doing developments, but there was kind of this perfect storm. And I learned this lesson that, you know, I started to make inquiries and then I learned a lesson, which is there has to be a better way to do business. There has to be kind of best practices that you can follow. There's heaps of super successful people that this never, never happens to. So it wasn't like, why did this happen to us? I was like, why did this happen to us? And so I went on this quest and I've been on kind of this lifetime quest. I'm now 47 years old. That's 30, you know, that's coming up for, what's that, 20 years ago. Um, it's actually long. It must be 30 ah, years, ago. years ago. 27 yeah. years ago. There you go. So, yeah, because I'm coming up for 50. So um, a couple of years time. And, and so I kind of went on this quest and all threaded through everything that I've done since that point in time was this, how can we better be better at what we're doing? How can we be better at business, relationships, people, all that kind of stuff? And that's been my quest. So I've become this you know, through those challenges, I've been become this person that's like always learning, um, always looking to those successful people. Cause like, how are these people doing it? What lessons have they learned? What mistakes have they made? If people make mistakes and you speak to any successful person, they'll tell you about the lowest lows and the highest highs. And they'll tell you about the lessons. And so I live by this philosophy of like, if I want to be successful, I've got to stand on the shoulders of giants. That's how we met, right? We met yeah. through the Gary Vaynerchuk program. And so I was like, right, how do we do this? How do I grow my business? And so you know, this, who am I now? I'm this person that is like self-educated. Um, you know, I'm the dropout from high school because that, like, that was that right at the wrong time in my life, losing the house, being homeless, you know, four days to move every single family possession out of our house. You know, I've got a, I've got a brother who's tiny, sister who's starting high school. I'm kind of in the process of finishing high school. And so my dad's business didn't go well, but he was incredibly talented. So how do we wrap an incredibly talented person in a really successful business? Well, I wouldn't say I'm very talented, but what I am is very successful at business because I've looked at those winning formulas and I've learned those lessons. And so what I can kind of crystallize now is that you can look at the different pillars of business. And I'm super passionate about helping businesses to be great places to work. And it's all about people, great places to buy from that then become great places to invest in. And so I can show you that journey and I can show anyone that journey that business is really quite a simple formula. Yeah. And I think people kind of overcook it. Um, and we look, you know, I'm guilty of buying hundreds of books as everybody knows I'm famous for is like <laughs> reading, reading a book a day. Yeah. But you can, I'm, I'm that person now that can kind of look at it and say, okay, well, I can analyze it and I can say what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, and I obviously have built something that worked and yeah. someone's bought it from me and, yeah. and that's really exciting. The next, you know, the next stage of the journey for the business I built yeah. um, through the transaction that we'll talk about. So I'm that person that's like, I'm super excited and passionate about turning any organization into a great place to work. Mm. Any organization can then be a great place to buy from. So the customers have an incredible experience. If you put those two things together, the third stakeholder is the owner or the, you know, the investor or the shareholder or whatever, we can make it a great investment. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. You articulating how you have like from the outside looking in, knowing you, Kobe, what you like. When when we have these conversations, usually it's like, oh, it's really about the journey and like there'll be lessons throughout that. But me knowing you, there's, of course, there's going to be lessons throughout your journey. But I really know you as someone who just knows a lot of stuff about <laughs> business, about mindset, yep. about life. Yep. You really, and I, I kind of intuitively thought that, but hearing you now more speak about what you went through, you really have made a whole career in business out of personal and professional development. And that's something that, I'm so interested in, I always feel like as well, why those, those are so related, 
you, you probably can, and I'm sure there are people out there that have, but you can't really build a successful business if you don't start with yourself 100%. and the principles and how your habits and your routines. And it all starts with the foundation of you. And we'll get there. And I see now from that experience how you've become the man you've become. But from that, what I'm interested in, apart from igniting that uh, mm. in, in curiosity yeah, yeah. about how to improve businesses and 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 like like scalable but profitable and and, and process driven businesses, I want to know as someone who grew up, you had until that you about twenty quite a bit of money. You at least you lived like a pretty easy, well off life. Mm -hmm. So then, in the matter of a click of a fingers, essentially, all that's thrown out the door, and you have to start again being homeless. How else did that impact you and your character, and what was going through your head? at that point of your life? Oh, look, you know, right at, right at the time that you're kind of 17, 18, 19, you know, we're, I'm chasing girls everywhere, <laughs> right? So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, we've got a waterfront house. Um, you know, I didn't really get my driver's license until I was 18 because I had a ski boat, yeah. you know? And so, you know, I had the ski boat tied out the front. We go water skiing every day. I had a great life, you know? And and I think that, like, it, you know, it's, it's you know, I think about that time, um, you know, every single day. Like it, it, it drives me every single day. And, and, you know, I've even said to my wife is like, you know, the reason why I work so hard is because I never want my family to ever go through that again. And it's not just my immediate family, like my wife and son and the dog. It's also my brother and sister and mum and dad and their kids. Like what I've just done is a life-changing transaction for our family. That means I can look after all of them, you know, and it doesn't have to happen again. And everyone's kind of figuring stuff out in our family and kind of, you know, building wealth and that kind of stuff. But it means that I can, you know, I was the oldest, um, you know, my dad was off, you know, trying to grow and build a business that ultimately, you know, fell in a heap. The business kept going, um, you know, in a much smaller form, but, you know, it, and it did affect me and it affected, um, you know, it affected my dad, you know, my dad kind of stopped talking for two years and, and, you know, my, my, my mum had been drinking a bunch in the lead up to that. And, and it wasn't so much that, you know, we made light you know, lighthearted humor of it, you know, mum's an alcoholic cause dad's an alcoholic, but you know, they, they were clearly under significant stress before that moment. Um, and, and I think that, you know, there's a massive dent to your ego cause you're working your way up Maslow's hierarchy of needs to self-actualization. You're doing cool stuff for the community. And then all of a sudden the base the gets ripped out, right? Down. You got to come back down. You got to go find your yourself a house, you know, you got to find the money to eat and then you got to find the money to, to, to find a house. Um, so I think that, um, you know, at that time I kind of finished high school, I went into college, um, and I, I couldn't figure out high school. Like I just, you know, people talk about, you know, colleges, you know, not great. And, you know, and I've got a view about universities and colleges. that's quite well known that I think they're important. Um, uh, but from a high school perspective, I couldn't figure out the game. And so I f fully failed everything, yeah. you know, but I dragged myself through the process. I got myself into TAFE and at TAFE, I learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I was like, ah, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. And then off we go, you know? Yeah. So my educational journey really started when I finished school uh, into a couple of years of college and then a couple of years of university, three years of university. And that's where my learning journey started. So I think learning about, you know, going into college was one of the best things I ever did because kind of in the lead up to losing the house and being homeless, I was self-funded. So, because there wasn't money, I was like, mum and dad are like, well, if you want stuff, go earn some money. Yeah. And so from 15, I've been self-funded, yeah. not really knowing. So yeah, I had the ski boat and I, yeah, I had a roof over my head, but I didn't have cash. Like mum and dad weren't going like, here's money. I was like, you want to take the car? You got to fill it up with fuel. I was like, yeah. mum, it's empty. It's like, yeah, fill it up, you know, yeah. and leave it full when you get back. So it was kind of like, there was a, there was kind of a, a an appearance if you like, but mum and dad in the background, they were struggling and they'd been struggling for kind of three or four years. 
And they're like, you know, dad had come home. Oh, we just sold the holiday house. And then he'd come home. He's like, oh, we just sold the investment property. Oh, we just sold the warehouse we own. Oh, we just sold this, you know, oh, we just sold the car. And I just didn't think anything of that. And so, but in that moment, it was probably a massive dent to my ego, massive reality check. And I think that the thing that I fell back on uh, was I fell back on work. And I was able to work and I was able to like, oh, this is okay. Like, you know, I can go earn some money on the weekends and I can feed myself through through the week at school or lunches and whatever. So I think that um, I am a very optimistic person and I could I could be kind of r- completely wrecked as a person. Yeah. But I was like, oh, well, you know, whatever, get on with it. So I'm, I was already in control of my destiny. I was like, I just got to double down and I got to work. Yeah. And so I just put my head down um, and, and I work. I, I think that um, – I think that the area that I did get significantly damaged was in relationships because I had a heap of girlfriends that were really shallow yeah. and all of a sudden that dried up yeah. and I was like, what the fuck have I done wrong? What's wrong with me? Um, and it was nothing wrong with me. It was everything yeah. wrong with the fact that I didn't have the house and yeah. all the shit that comes with it. Yeah. Um, you know, and the fast cars and all that kind of stuff yeah. that my dad had at the time. Do you think it was like a, a pre lesson in humility to learn it before you Kind of possibly bad behaviors yourself because yeah i see particularly all these e-com guys who you know it's not i wouldn't say it's easy but it's there's a, there's a lot of e-com guys that have made stupid cash in the first mm-hmm. six to 12 months and they're going on they're flashing their watches their gucci shirts mm-hmm. the this mm-hmm. and then they start getting real quiet after about a year in business and it's mm-hmm. because you're not making the profit as easily as you used to be no. and their entire ego crumbles and like i've seen people completely disappear yep, off the yep. face of social media because oh because now that they're not making all this profit, their ego, like their whole being shrivels up. But I think kind of like it could have been an important, you know, lesson for you to avoid going down that path. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. So, and I had friends a lot more poor than me, but I feel like having that taste of like that lower middle-class life. And then now in my early twenties, getting a bit of money, I'm I'm very like grateful and appreciative of Mm. my personal journey there but i just like to know yeah what your thoughts were you going down that path were you oh and did you have ego around that everyone's i suppose a healthy bit of ego around that age but i think um i think that uh my dad certainly came from a lot of money none of it was handed down um like it was it was certainly all gone by the time you know my dad built my dad inherited a one-bedroom apartment um and so he built up his own thing so i think you know, if I, if I come to kind of a, a kind of a slogan of our family is my mum, like we identify as workers. So I think that while I was certainly mixing in like filthy rich circles, if yeah. you know, to, to kind of talk about, you know, h- how we look at it and, and, and I have met and know some amazing people that are very, you know, significant, um, in, in their means. Um, I think that, I probably, yes, I had lessons in humility, but I also had, you know, some of the, some of the most wealthy people I know are some of the most humble people. Oh, and yeah. I had that example to follow yeah. as opposed to the kind of piece in the middle, if that makes sense, yeah. which is the keeping up with the Joneses. And I grew up in a, um, in an area where it, it wasn't pretentious. Like no one gave a fuck what car you drove, even though they were some of the fastest cars yeah. on the road. No one cared, yeah. right? You drove it cause that's what you want, not cause you want to show someone, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and at, at a time when, you know, the, the dude that was probably worth the most wore a flannelette shirt round you know, on the weekends and a pair of ripped jeans and you wouldn't know. Um, and so I think I organically just through osmosis absorbed that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're probably right about that lesson. I think that, you know, I say I had a ski boat, like a water ski boat out the front. I restored it. 
yeah. you know, from scratch. And my dad was like, if that's what you want, you can have this and you've got to do it up. And so, you know, I, you know, fiberglassed it and painted it and rebuilt the engine and did all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was a, it was a cool lifestyle, but that, there was a lot of work behind yeah. it. Uh, that that's the important part though. Like, and that's the thing if, if I, my path continues and I end up being extremely wealthy and I have kids, like mm-hmm. I hear people saying, oh, I'm not going to leave a, a dollar to my kids. They got to build all this up. Like I disagree with that. I trust myself. I've got, I'm, I'm not a parent yet, but I trust <laughs> myself and my ability yep. to parent a kid over the, you know, 20, 30 years mm-hmm. that he's growing up that they like, you got to teach them the value of money. Like just because I made my money myself, I'd like to be able, like you said, to share mm-hmm. that with your family mm-hmm. and around you. But it's as long as I understand the lessons and the humility and mm-hmm. the, you know, how hard it can be to earn money and how lucky you are to have it and, and mm-hmm. the work that's required, then I'm comfortable with that. Um, I want to go back as well to that period where you started losing everything as a family. Wh- mm-hmm. Where did you go next? What would, what did that rebuild look like for you? And if you started working a lot, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that. And then how did, what did your, the business, the family business start to do? Yeah. So, so the rebuild looks like, um, you know, knowing the lows of the lows is a, is an incredible experience because you know what you can go back to and you know how you can survive. So I think that, uh, a really close family, like we've got a really close family unit. Um, and I think that we were able to navigate where people could get completely frustrated with each other and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like double down, we're all going to work as a team and work together. Um, so I think, you know, the rebuild looks like uh, moving with, you know, the, the, the mechanics and the practicality of it, moving with the neighbours. Um, so we had some really good family friends put us up for three months. Um, dad's kind of kind of solving this financial problem with what do we do? Because, you know, the bank's also saying, well, we're going to put your house on the market and sell it. Took them 12 months to sell the house. So it wasn't like the debt and everything was like done on that day. It was like, no, 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 we're, there was still this kind of, do we owe the bank money still or not? They've taken the house. Do we pay the mortgage? Yes or no. Dad was trying to buy the house back and refinance it. And then he was kind of like, all right, I can't do that. There's a bit of corruption and there's more to, more depth to a different story for another day as to the the, the side shit that was happening um, that we weren't aware of. Like we were being handicapped um, as part of that process. But, but the rebuild looks like moving with the neighbours um, and you've always got friends and family. There's always a couch you can sleep on. And I think a lot of people are really scared and kind of paralyzed in the moment of risk where they go, well, what will I do? I'll lose my house, my apartment, my freedom, my, you know, my two bedroom apartment. That's amazing. I'll lose that. It's like, if you really want to be successful, you've got to be prepared to sleep on a couch. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we did that. Um, and then we rented a house and we rented a house for a year and then mum and dad found a, a house that was a lot more humble and, and we're able to buy that and the mortgage was in their means. My dad scaled back the business and we rebuilt. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, we've gone on to do other things. Um, I went in, you know, five years later, I went into the family business for a little while, um, which was developments. And then, you know, and then my dad kind of kicked along and then we kind of went off in different directions. And I think that the one thing that I think if, if someone wants a one thing lesson, it's that income from outside sources is always better than recycling it inside. So, so, you know, as a team, put your backs together, you know, all back to back, look outwardly and bring income in from external, not relying on one source. Cause it's very easy with a family business to go, all oh, right, put everybody on the payroll. Everyone kind of sits at the desks in the office and you got the one source of income from a customer. I think the thing that got us through was I was earning my own income. My sister got a job. My dad was bringing his income. My mum went and worked my little brother kind of battled his way through high school. Yeah. So I think that, that in that, if you're in a relationship, in a partnership, 
go outside for the income. Don't go like one breadwinner or whatever. Like try to get other sources. That diversifies risks. If you're in different industries, they're going to be in different macroeconomic cycles. And, and I think from that perspective, that's a good way to kind of do the rebuild. Once a significant source of income starts coming in, then off you go in that direction. Yeah. Have you, did you find that looking back, has that moment in a sense freed you to be able to take more risks in your business career, knowing that you've experienced the lows and there is a pathway out of that? Yeah, definitely. Like I've said to people, like, you know, I'm happy in a camper trailer, <laughs> you know, like, or, or I'm happy camping. Yeah. So, you know, um, my grandfather bought a block of land for my uh, dad for a pound 60 years ago. It's up in the Blue Mountains. Um, you know, it's got a fire pit, it's got a composting toilet and I can pitch a tent. Uh, it owes us nothing. There's no debt. And I would, you know, I chase the, I chase it all the way to the bottom yeah. because I know I can go and camp there. Um, and, and I think having that thing put to bed and, you know, I, I know that I can cook, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think that, um, you know, and I think we do overinflate ourselves in terms of what we specifically need to eat, but you can get a slice of pizza for a dollar. So, so I think that, you know, I can, I can go down the road to the truck stop and get myself a meat pie and I can be in a tent. And now with internet, I can, I can rebuild from there. Yeah. So you know, I wouldn't want to put my family through that because they're used to the luxuries of life now. But, but yeah, 100%. Like if I go back 10 years to when I was really pushing the business hard, even like the last, you know, 15 years to 10 years ago, yeah. I was really pushing it hard. I was actively saying to people, I am happy to live in a tent, you know, and, and if, you're not, if you're not drawing money out of your business to kind of spend money on life, and I'll come back to your friends with the watches and the jewelry in a second because I've got a different hypothesis on that, is that you know, what you're doing is you're extracting your working capital out of your business. If you can leave your working capital in your business, you can scale faster. If you take that money out of your business, you're going to pay tax. Yeah. And if you're making decent money, you're going to be paying tax at the highest rate. And here in Australia, that's 47%. So you're going to be pulling money out. You're going to be giving half of it to the government. Not only that, you're going to be paying GST on the watch or the car. So you're actually paying more like 57% tax. Don't spend it. And so what I've seen with the people that disappear off social media is they have a lot of cash flow, yeah. but it's not profitable because the business hasn't grown yet and the business needs cash to grow. And so all of a sudden they're going, oh, I've got this awesome, I've got this huge bank balance. That's the working capital to keep growing your business. But they're like, oh, I'm going to buy a car and a watch and a holiday and a do whatever. Yeah. All of a sudden the tax bill comes in. That's what kills social media, yeah. you know? Yeah. And people as well in the first year of business, like, once you've had like several years of business, you've banked profit, you've got, you know, you've got some money behind you, then you can start thinking, okay, how can I treat myself here? But too many people in the first year of business think, what can my business do for me? Not what, I, what can I do for my business? And that's the biggest mistake. People get so caught up in that lifestyle so quickly that I don't realize what's actually required. That extra 30, 40 grand that you made in profit, you, there's going to come a day where you fucking need that or you're ruined. So that more long-term thinking is something that not a lot of people in this space, particularly my space, e-com talk about. So I want to be someone who kind of changes that. Um, where I want to go now is you've obviously built an extremely successful business that you've just begun the process to move on to the next phase with. Um, when did that start? I know you got into business, was it 26 or 28? Was that best practice? 27, have, yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. have anything else before you launched best practice? Yeah, so I tried to start a consulting company when I was 25. Um, yeah. Like I kind of know what I'm talking about, you know, one of those kids that's pretty switched on. Um, and the, the advisory side of the business worked really well. In fact, it was in greenhouse gas emissions and carbon footprint modeling. Uh, way too Ahead early. Of your time. Yeah. <laughs> way too early. Um, anyway, um, we had a tax reform here in Australia where the GST came in in 2000 
And I couldn't really figure that out. And yeah. no one really knew how to do a BAS statement and, a, you know, your, your quarterly BAS or your monthly in, as your business gets a bit bigger. And so I kind of canned it, went and got a job, worked for a few years and then kind of restarted when I was 27. Um, so, you know, in, in, in terms of kind of thinking about that, you know, if I go back to high school when your year seven teacher says, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I'm going to run a business. Like I didn't – I grew up in a family where with a father as an entrepreneur. I didn't have – any role models in my family that got up at six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning and got dressed and got in the car and went to work and had a fixed income. Yeah. We lived a life of boom bust, yeah. which was entrepreneur has a heap of money, cool cars, then nothing, then an international holiday, then nothing, you know, and then rice, you know, and then, you know, and then mashed potato yeah. or, you know, or, or, a, or, a, or a three dollar loaf of bread at grandma's yeah. on a Wednesday afternoon with a jar of peanut butter. Yeah. So I didn't have any other like example to follow, my brother runs a business. My sister's managed to figure out, figure out the kind of corporate employment thing, yeah. but we didn't have that role model. So we were always destined to run businesses. Yeah. And that's our dinner table conversation in our family. When we all get together, we talk about running businesses. We talk yeah. about real estate. We talk about developments. We talk about building stuff. We talk about development applications going through local councils. Yeah. That's what we do. And that's the thing because entrepreneurship over the last five years has been the cool thing to do. So many more people are being drawn to it when maybe it wasn't the best idea for them and there's so much involved with it there's this robin williams quote that i've mentioned before it's about acting essentially like you shouldn't act unless you need to act because it's so fucked that the chances of success are so mm -hmm. low if you're in it for the money it's like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a dream and like it's it's almost getting to the point i'd almost recommend that for business like if you feel like you're too itchy you can't sit in a corporate job and work there like don't start a business because it's so it's so it's draining. It's hard. hard, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I see both sides. Like if you feel called to do it, great. But don't just because everyone else thinks the entrepreneurship's the cool thing now. Um, maybe in five mm. years it's YouTubing again or gaming. Mm -hmm. But just do what's true to you. Business is an amazing platform and it can change your life, which we both know it it, it can do. But if it's not for you, don't force it. No, 100%. That's the biggest Absolutely. Thing. Absolutely. All right. So best practice for anyone doesn't know multiple eight figure business, extremely successful, built a team of how many staff? Like 70. 70 staff. Mm -hmm. Fuck, that's crazy. There's so yep. many things I want to ask you about that, but tell yep. me about the build first and then we'll go into some more granular questions about certain mm -hmm. things I want to ask you. But yep. What was the build like to go from just you starting your business by yourself to 70 staff, massive team, amazing culture, and obviously the revenue and the profit that you guys have done is extremely impressive. But talk to me about that build, paint the picture. What was that like? Yeah, look, I, I, well, I'll get into that. I want to circle back to one point, which is you kind of, you know, you start making a bit of money and you treat yourself, mm. never treat yourself. So I live by this philosophy. So I, I just basically sold my business and we'll talk about that. I celebrated with a cup of black English breakfast tea and I'm moving on to the next thing, you know, like yeah. I've got to help them do what they need. And so in terms of the build, cause this comes into the, the build, I was like, I, I'm, I'm, I can't deal with the sky, I can't deal with the ceiling being the limit. I need the sky to be the limit. Yeah. And so in terms of me starting a business, I was like, I don't want, I don't want politics or someone's agenda or turf they're trying to protect to prevent me from doing the right thing by a customer mm. or the right thing by a teammate or the right thing by the owner of the business. I'm, I need to go in and solve that problem and, and, and fix that. And the money for me kind of comes separately. Like I will, if anybody who's watching this wants help, DM me on LinkedIn or on Instagram, I will help you for free. I will try if you've got something on your mind or you want to get inside my head and ask me a question, that's how I work. If it turns into something commercial where you need lots of help, we'll work that out down the track. But that's how I live. So the build, I get a sheet of plywood from Bunnings. Yeah. Um, I basically cut 
cut it into a triangle. I was like, that's not going to work. So I cut a curve in it. I get two chests of drawers and I push this piece of plywood into the corner of a second bedroom of a tiny little apartment. I get a canvas director's chair and my laptop and that's how I started my business. Yeah. And so I got, I got one, it was like one kilobyte a second, not one megabyte or one gigabyte a second, wow. one kilobyte a second, $16 a month, dial up internet and a fax machine. And I started in 2004. And so the build was, right, we need a database. So I had an inkjet printer. I got purple paper because I thought purple was really cool. Ink, ink from an inkjet doesn't print on purple. Anyway, I made these flyers. I kind of found, I got online and I kind of found a bit of a register. I got some addresses and I started just stuffing envelopes and mailing people. And that was the build. And I got my first client, Epson Australia. Wow. <laughs> They're like, you're an idiot. You send us purple paper. No one ever sends purple yeah, paper. Yeah. So we wanted to talk to you. And I go and help them do process reviews and like yeah. looking for efficiencies. And 27 years old, they're like, you're a whippersnapper. I talked to, like, they weren't actually my first customer. I talked to my first customer last week and they were like, you were so wet behind the ears. It wasn't funny, yeah. but we thought you're so smart. You're so switched on. And the changes you helped us make in our business to make us more efficient were incredible. Like we were getting so much value out of you. We were too scared to tell you. Like I told them 800 bucks a day and I thought, oh, I'm pretty, uh, you know, yeah, this yeah. is pretty cool. And they're like, we would have paid you 10 grand a day. Yeah. You were that good. Um, and they've been with me on that journey for like almost 20 years. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I got one customer, then I got another customer and, and I quickly realized that a better way to, or a good way to operate would be to have me go visit these people on a regular basis. Like whether it's monthly or yeah. quarterly or six monthly, and so I built this kind of recurring service. Now we would call it business coaching. But back then it was just like, no, come and look at some stuff. Oh, we got some process challenges or we got some risks or we need some ideas or how do we systemize this? Or, we, you know, we need a training manual or we need to induct people or, you know, and there's compliance and regulations. Can you research that? I've got a really great mind for reading the law yep. and, and interpreting the law into really simple terms so that someone can say, oh, yeah, I understand what that means, you know. Now we're talking about things like modern slavery or health and safety compliance or chemicals or import regulations. I can read all that really quickly and kind of just, I don't know why it's, I'm kind of a bit of a freak, but I can find the law. I can read it, not a lawyer, but what I can do is I can turn that into a policy or procedure and we can say, here's something that's meaningful for the team. And we just kind of built and built and built. And then we were like, actually, let's formalize this. Then, you know, is it, I, I love networking. I love going and learning out from the environment. And that's how kind of we met. Yeah. I was at a networking group and someone kind of starts talking about subscription kind of recurring royalty revenue businesses. I was like, huh, I think I can do that. So I go back and I go, right, everyone's going to be on subscription. We end up with a thousand customers on subscription. Fuck. So, you know, and we, and, and to kind of talk numbers, 35 full-time staff, 70, you know, another 35 to make it 70 really technical specialist people that are on ABNs. That's how they want to work. Yep. And I might use them four days, five days a week, or some guys might be two or three times a month. Um, and, and it's a big crowd of people. And, you know, if you're in kind of the Southern Hemisphere or you're in specifically in Australia, you'll see best practice stickers, a red, a yellow, and a green sticker. That's one of our services that we're famous for. Um, and we built best practice and these people have you know, getting assistance with quality assurance or OHS or environment or cybersecurity. It's all risk management now is kind of the, the the modern term. And so as you build a business and it becomes a medium-sized enterprise, it needs robust risk management because you have other people involved. You might have a couple of million dollars worth of loans or tens of million dollars worth of loans and you've got to keep the bank happy. And then you've got insurance risk and you might have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of insurance premiums and you need to demonstrate the insurer. It's not just that you pay the premium, but you're managing, the, managing those risks 
to keep your premiums down and keep their risk down. And then you've got employment law and you've got environmental law and safety law. So we take that kind of stuff and we bring that down. And people said, actually, you know what? I want you to come back and see me. And if I use the, if there's any accountants watching, the biggest opportunity for disruption in the accounting industry is we want, as business owners, we want advice from our accountants. We want kind of a bit of guidance. There's no accountants out there doing that. And even though they say they are, they still say, oh, okay, I'll just do your tax return. Then maybe I'll give you some advice after that's done. And then, then they call you a year later and say, right, let's do your tax return. You're like, what happened to the advice? Yeah. So I, I think that advisory kind of service businesses, which is what I specialize, ended up specializing in, the build phase was like one person, help me do some marketing. Second person, help me do some advisory work. Third person, um, you know, what was the third person was a kind of payroll finance person. I was on the payroll myself at, you know, midnight on a Wednesday. Um, and so we kind of, you know, we, we, we built the business. And so I, I accidentally hired people who were really good at the things I didn't like doing. I didn't know that was the right way to go. But if you're starting to build and scale a business, hire someone who is super passionate about doing the shit that you hate. Yep. And that's how you scale a business. There's, there's no science. It's very simple. Write down all the things you have to do, put them in order of really like to don't like and the shit you don't like find someone and you just say, it's not, you're a warm body, come and work here. You, you go out to the market and you say, I don't like doing this. I'm looking for somebody who really loves doing this and wants to do this forever. Not someone who wants to be near Dylan Mullen cause he's amazing and he's very handsome and it's a cool business, yeah. right? You know, but, but that's the risk, right? We all yeah. just go grab the next warm body. You'll do, you'll do. They're not the A player yeah. in doing payroll or accounts receivable or all the boring crap or taking out the garbage or yeah. packing the orders or going to the post office, whatever that might be. But that's what we have to do. And so that's how we scale a business. Well, that's something I wish I heard before because I, I did exactly <laughs> what you said. Like, okay, you're interviewing for someone and they want to come work for you because mm -hmm. you're Happy Skin Co and all this. And like you're hiring them for like, let's just say customer service. But with like, they want to be out of customer service as quick as they can. And like, okay, well, how do I take the next step? How do I get into marketing? And just like, oh, fuck, you've only been here six months. You or know six I mean? days. Yeah, yep. yeah. So yep. it's difficult. Yep. Um, and this is something I've spoken to you before, but you have a winning process to consistently hire A players. What's kind of break that process down a little bit. You mentioned part of it, hiring people that are really passionate about yep. those specific things. But yep. give us a little bit more detail on how you do that consistently. Okay. So um, I'm going to go through 10 steps. Mm -hmm. You can get this from bestpractice.biz forward slash guides, G-U-I-D-E-S. So anyone that's watching, go to that link and we'll drop the link somewhere in we'll the in some description notes. in the show notes. So um, there's 10 steps to my winning formula for recruitment and it and and you can get this shit for free off my website or off the bestpractice.biz website. So the first thing is have an executive conversation, which is what don't you like doing? If you're a startup, you're a solopreneur and you're thinking, who should I hire first? Don't just respond to all of the VA DMs that are coming into your LinkedIn or your Instagram. Think about what you don't like doing. And really, businesses are very simple. They're marketing, sales, finance, whatever their value-adding process is, I'll just call that production, and then people and culture. It's that simple. Don't make it any more complicated than that. I have looked at over 25,000 businesses. They are all exactly the fucking same. And don't think that your business is any different. So you start there and you say, of those things, what is the thing that I drift away from all of the time and I kind of leave to the very last minute and it becomes an emergency lead gen or sales or closing deals or finance or payroll. Usually it's something financial because people 
who are entrepreneurial often don't like numbers. Scares them, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the winning formula is, you know, have a think about that, have that conversation. And then you say, okay, I'm going to go to market on that particular thing. Start thinking about a position description. If you don't know what that is, Google position description for that job yeah. or that thing. A thousand examples will come up. And if you can't find them, click the images tab and you'll see pictures of them. And if you yeah. like someone who likes picture books, Google is picture books. So, so then you get a job description. Now the next really critical thing is think about the number that's most important. So it's a, there needs to be a critical number, a number that you want managed. Now it might be the number of leads or the dollar value of revenue, or, or you, it might be a really, you know, small job. And to quote you on your ROAS, your favorite term ROAS, like return on advertising spend. Yeah. So it's got to have a number. It could be payroll. It could be finance. It could be accounts receivable. It could be cash collected. It could be orders packed. That role or that job is going to maybe have a few numbers, but it's what gets watched gets managed. What's the thing you need managed that's the emergency? I don't have enough leads. I don't have enough sales. I haven't packed enough orders. I haven't sent enough stuff. It needs to be a number. So with a kind of a job description and with kind of a number, you take those things out to the marketplace. Now, the marketplace could be your friends and family. The marketplace could be your Instagram. The marketplace could be Seek or LinkedIn or whatever platform if you want to advertise or it could be you're looking for a freelancer because then you can say, I need somebody who really loves doing this, doesn't want to do anything else. You're not looking for someone to come in and want to get into marketing or whatever. And then you talk to that person and you say, are you passionate about this number? And you're assessing for a thing called get it, want it capacity. Do, you, do they get it? Do they seem to get it? Do they want it? And do they have capacity to do it? Now, capacity is skills and competency. You can, like I talk about this a lot, you can hire for the wheel, you hire for the wheel, train for the skill. But capacity is also, they're a mum with a new baby, they can only do two days a week. They, they live five hours away. They haven't got the capacity to physically come if you need them to pack orders. Like it's just not going to work. So capacity doesn't work. And then you're basically saying, okay, I'm going to onboard you and we're going to go through this process basically to assess that. And maybe at a month I'm going to check in and maybe at two months I'm going to check in. Now, am I allowed to swear on the podcast? Yeah, they've, got to be, yeah. they've got to be a fuck yeah or they're a no. It's fuck yeah or it's no. Yeah. It's not maybe you'll do your – you're a breathing body with a pulse. You'll come on, sit here in this seat. They've got to get it, want it, and they've got to have capacity. And then as you become a team of two and three and four, you'll start to see a culture evolving. There's got to be some cultural alignment. And, and, you, and, and that's where I would kind of add in the panel part, which is, hey, we're going to add another member to our team. Occasionally we're going to throw really shit passes and, and you've got to be able to catch a really shit pass and you've got to be able to catch a good pass with a bad catch because you start working together as a team. We're all humans. We all make mistakes. We all got baggage. We've got shit going on. Um, and so that person's got to kind of fit into that, you know, quirky culture, if that makes sense. Now, to talk about culture – we kind of get a bit off track here in Australia with culture because it gets all a bit corporate and philosophy driven. Let's go back to humanity 500 years ago. There were cultures that killed each other and they were very specific cultures based on geographies, regions, and tribes. And we have to go back to that because I've had the pleasant experience of hiring cultures that in other parts of the world are on opposite sides of a bank and they kill each other. And so when you talk about cultural alignment, don't make the mistake that I've made of hiring people from different parts of a particular part, different sides of a particular part of a war zone because they don't get on yeah. um, and it creates toxicity in your business. So let's not get too built up around culture. You know, there's lovely words now. Ours are progressive and empathy and friendly and 
um, you know, and, and, and flexible and fast and all those kinds of things and trustworthy. Let's all, let's go back to cultural origins because particular cultures have particular things like traditions and holiday activities. And so if you become an office that can't celebrate Christmas, you haven't got cultural alignment and you're not, it's not going to work well together because you're going to be constantly working on eggshells and that is acceptable. You don't want to discriminate. Like if you get an A player that comes in and gets it once it has capacity, then they will be forgiving of the cultural traditions you want to celebrate, whether it's Jewish or Christian or pick a religious culture because that's kind of the trend where we are here in Australia a Christian country. I'm by no means anybody that's perfect in any way, shape of the warm world. I'm basically an atheist. But we're in a Christian society with Christian values and Christian rules, and if someone's going to hold you back on that, then they should work Christmas Day, not take it as a public holiday. And and so we need to be. And so that's where cultural, you know, the 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 beginnings of cultural evolution in a business start with everyone good with all the public holidays. Yep, you know, everyone good with Easter, everyone good with Christmas because that's where we are. Uh, we can by all means have celebrations of other cultures and religions, and and I have every religion in my business now. But we acknowledge that this is the country we live in and we don't discriminate to people, but they have to be accepting of that because we can't afford – it's hard enough to do business and make sales without having to work on, walk on eggshells around people. Yeah. So you don't. So you have A players, B players and C players. You, if you're walking on eggshells in a business, you're walking on eggshells around a C player. You hire, promote, reward, publicly celebrate A players. You coach B players and you fire C players. Yeah, that's really interesting. One of the last times we did a Happy Skin Code, there was we were under two candidates, um, and one was probably um, like probably seemed a little bit more responsible and experienced with the work we we're going to do. But we just thought, like, we looked at a couple of things and thought, are we going to be able to continue to be able to be ourselves and talk about what we talk about um, freely? And we decided probably not. And are we willing to change for a entry level role, let alone any role? And we thought, no, we weren't. And we went the one that would fit in with the culture and the way we work in our energy. And fuck, I've, we made the right decision. I'm so thankful for it every day. Even if there were other things that the other person would have done better, overall, that unity and that like, like you said, one of the most important things if you want to get the best out of your team is do they enjoy showing up to work every day? That's it. So yeah, big, big learnings from that. Have you had some negative experiences you kind of touched on <laughs> that made you realize that you got to approach heaps, it like that? Heaps. Look, look I think um, – you know that that kind of rounds out kind of that, that those ten points, and yeah. and a lot of that's built around, you know, you know, hiring is guessing, firing is knowing. Yeah. Uh, from our famous friend Gary Vaynerchuk, and and I live and breathe that now. Yeah. I've had plenty of experiences. I've had you know people from all walks of life have clashes, be too sensitive. Um, you know, business is a full contact sport. It's a war zone. Business. We talk about. I I don't think we we put enough weight on the word competitor. Like in business, your competitors are going to undercut you on price, which takes money away from your family and food off your table. Like understand when your margin is cropped by a competitor because you're competing on price, that is taking the holiday away from your family or the, a rent payment or, uh, you, know, a, you know, a treat on Christmas Day or whatever you celebrate. Sorry, I keep saying religious holidays, but, you know, a birthday present yeah. um, for the family. And, and business competitors – are the most fierce competitors out there. If you're in a running race, you're trying to run faster than the other person. You're in business, you're trying to get more leads and do more revenue and get 
if there's only just one opportunity, one business gets it or the other. And so we have to understand that. But if we're like fighting over entitlements or who's working what day or who's got what on and what desk, we're not all on the same page. We need to be a united force and, and, and we need to understand that business is really, really hard, particularly in the climate right now. And we have to be united as a team and we have to be first and foremost, very passionate about the meaningful course, yeah. you know? And so our meaningful cause at best practice, we start with why helping businesses to be great places to work, helping businesses to be great places to buy from and helping businesses to be great places to invest in. And we're, we are a team that support each other to deliver those three things. If your people aren't passionate about that, if they're not passionate about the meaningful work that the Happy Skin Co does, I've spoken to you about this. I love the bigger purpose of what you can do with, with people's confidence with your product. And I know that it kind of it goes left and right, but right in the core I've seen some women have feel incredibly empowered through the use of your products. Like it's incredible. And so – if those people are not there for that worthy cause, for that for that lady who is, you know, you're getting to the middle point of her life and her body's kind of not going in the direction it wants to go in and some subtle at-home private hair removal means that she can feel more confident even though you can't see that part of her skin out in public but she just feels that little bit more confident. She's going to be more confident at work, more confident with maybe – a guy she's interested in or a girl she's interested in and her life is going to completely change and your product does that, you know? And so if your team members are not part of that meaningful cause, then they're not going to be on the same page. Yeah. Well that, you kind of just explained my next question. I was going to ask, because one of the things that comes up with young entrepreneurs, when they start hiring their first team, people come to me and be like, how do I get them to, to, to work harder? They don't really give a fuck, but it's like, obviously no one's going to work as hard as the business owner, nor should you respect them to. 100%. But so you think buying around the key mission of the business is the best thing that you have to get that respect and attitude to show up every day and give their best. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and look, I think I hear that complaint all of the time. Like I, 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 I've never ever looked at my team and wish they work harder. And so I, I, I don't, like I, I, I kind of like you hired the wrong person, like, and, or your expectations are wrong or you're a tight ass at the end of the day. Like, I don't know what it is, but, it, but, but if you're, th if you're looking at someone in your business and you've got resentment towards them, then you kind of need to reset because they are employees and what they're looking for, they're looking for confidence. They're looking for direction. They're looking for a fixed amount of money per week and they will come in and do what they need to do. Um, and so, this whole work harder thing, like, okay, if, if you've got a number and say, say, okay, okay, let's, let's dig down into, I want this person to work harder, put the number in front of them and say, are you passionate and inspired of that around that number? Probably you're not putting the right number in front of them. So if it's packing orders, if it's e-commerce, it's packing orders, for example, I don't know, yep. well, let, let's just use that or getting better return on advertising spend. So it could be sales and marketing person sitting at a desk driving Google AdWords um, or, or, or remarketing or retargeting or, or Facebook ads or whatever. Or it could be over here, person slapping stickers on, you know, picking, packing and slapping stickers on a bag and out the door, whatever it might be. Um, give them a number and ask them, do you really love this number? Are you excited to try to get this number better? Would you be really inspired if you could get it, you know, to improve? And then get ready to reward that person financially because that if they become significant at those numbers, that's going to push money to your bottom line. Yeah. 
that's going to make you profitable. And if it's not making you profitable, it's just bringing you from a loss to break even and you're an idiot and you should stop running your business anyway. You so know what you I mean? think, like, let's call them KPIs for lack of a better yep. word, right? KPIs. KPIs again across mm -hmm. all facets yes. of business. One, you want to start with one per person okay. because as a business owner, you're giving a person, let's just use $1,000 because it's a round figure. Yep. I'm going to give you $1,000, 200 bucks a day to come to this business each day. It's not my problem that the tax office takes a, a third of that at that level. That's your issue, not mine. I'm going to give you $1,000 and in return for that $1,000, I need 10 times of this. Yep. Do it twice a day for five days, it's 10. And, and it makes sense for me to pay $1,000, have that thing done this week 10 times. If, it, if you're saying I want my people to work harder, I need that thing done 15 times or 20 times, then you're just trying to squeeze blood out of a stone. But if 10 is an acceptable KPI, key performance indicator, then that's fine. Like, and, or, or whether it's ROAS, you know, return on advertising spend or orders or leads or social media posts. I said to one of our guys last week, Cam was in the meeting. I said to one of our guys, I need 500 posts on this Instagram account as quickly as possible. I said, I don't care if it's 10 a day. I don't care if it's 20 a day. He's like, ah, oh, but I don't think I can do that. I said, drop the quality. You've seen me do it, right? You know, I can do 36,000 social media posts in one year. Yeah. And I said, this particular, it's a new account that we're starting. And I said, I need 500 posts. And he said, that's crazy. One of the other guys in the marketing team, in it's one of our other businesses. Yeah. He said, we're going to lose followers. I said, great. Because if we lose followers, none of those fuckwits were ever going to buy from yeah. us. I don't want them on our account. I don't want them commenting. I don't want them liking. I don't want them anything anywhere near us. Yeah. We only want people that are going to buy from us. Yeah. But more importantly on that account, I need more than five swipes when they're moving up the posts because it's the profile. It's a very creative business that's make stuff. And, and so I said to him, so what I had to do was I had to compromise on quality. So I needed numbers and I needed a particular number. I didn't need X amount of comments or X amount of likes or X amount of followers. I just need the posts. Yeah. And so I said, what I need you to do on Friday, I need you to do 10 posts per day for the next 15 days. And that's the extra 150 posts we need. Mm. And so he's like, great, cool. I'm like, are you good with that? Fuck yes. Yeah. Off he goes. Yeah. So the clarity, setting the clarity around that. hundred percent, hundred percent. So if you're frustrated with, so if you're frustrated with someone and you want them to work harder, it starts with you. You're the person doing it wrong. Uh, you have to take 100% of the blame for the situation and then you have to say, what am I doing about that? Yeah. Have I been great at training that person? Have I been great at mentoring that person? Do I inspire that person every day? Am I the amazing looking leader that that person is looking for? Like everybody is ready to blame everybody else, but are you, you know, particularly in relationships, right? You like you want to go and get that really attractive person on the other side of the relationship. Are you the person that matches that? You know, and that's really important. Now, whether it's confidence or looks or whatever that might be, but you kind of you go out in public and you see people and you're like, yeah, they 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 match. You know, they're a match, not a you know not a broken match. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so business is the same. If you want people to double down and be absolutely incredible. You've got to double down. You've got to be the leader that they want to work for. People bang on my door to come to work for me. I don't have a, like everyone says, oh, how do you find great people? How do you hire people? How do you do this sort of stuff? We don't have an issue. Like yeah. we put an ad up and people will know because they watch the videos, they see it and they like, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to make you amazing. I'm going to give you all this great stuff. We're going to work really hard together. We have like lots of the time you've seen them. We have all these voluntary interns that come and work for us because they want to just come and spend time in our organization. So you've got to be that, you've got to 
what's the five-star version of the situation yeah. for you as a leader? You've got to do that. You've got to rise to that occasion. And I know personally, like there'll be heaps of times where we have uh, people DMing me saying, hey, I'd love to come work with you. And I'll tell them no recently because I'm so busy with what I'm doing. I know I'm not in a position to actually be what you need right now. And it's just going to ruin my reputation. It's going to it's gonna do my head in a little bit to be like, oh, because I'm going to start feeling guilty for not giving them what mm -hmm. they need. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a waste of their time. So it's not mm -hmm. worth it. But that's something, yeah. I think it, it all comes down to you. Like it's the business owner. If it's not, if there's anything going wrong in my business, even with an employee, it's always my fault. 100%. And that's some, some just approach that I took intuitively, naturally, which I'm really glad about. But it means that if there's something going wrong in your business, it's your responsibility to figure out how to get the, the best out of that. Um, not that person and don't start blaming other people and mm. moping around. And like you said, if it takes a reset and nothing else works, it takes a reset. hundred percent. Um, next question for you. Okay. We've got this, you've built, you've built amazing teams. Mm -hmm. Now, how do, whether it's at a personal level for the entrepreneur themselves or with a, with the team, something you've spoken about is increasing productivity. How can someone in themselves or in their team help increase productivity? I'm not saying work longer yeah, yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah, how do we yeah. become more productive? So I live on this philosophy of there's there's three legs to the stool. So every business is a stool. It's got three legs, people, data, process. So what we're looking is we're going to start measuring and we're going to start saying we want to get more productivity. So we want to expand capacity. So <clears throat> you're looking at, so if you train somebody in theory, if you teach someone how to cook, in theory, they should be able to cook more efficiently. Now, the more efficiently might mean less waste. So they don't fuck it up and burn it you know, um, or they could do it faster. So you see the chefs on thing going, you know, with the knife, right? So I can cut like that, you know, like it's chop, 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 chop. My wife watches me. She's like, how do you do that? It's like practice, yeah. practice, you know? So, so a couple of things. So the first thing is you can train people. And in theory, the outcome of training should be, they should be able to be faster, more efficient and less waste to a point. And there's a point, there's like the point of diminishing returns. And understanding the point of diminishing returns, which is we can invest in this, but we're going to get to a point where our return on investment is kind of capped and that's kind of it, you know? And, and if you think about leads in the marketplace, I've been in business that long now that I know that's a, there's kind of X number of people coming into the market on this day and leaving the market on this day and kind of that's the market, you know, and, and there's only so many people on the planet and, and so, you know, once everybody's got one iPhone, then everyone can kind of get two iPhones and then three iPhones. But you get my point is like, you know, human, every human's kind of got two hands and so they could only wear two gloves at any one time. That's the market, you know? Yeah. So, so I think you've got to understand the point of diminishing returns. But if you look at, you look at the data aspect of it and start measuring, then you can look at people, can we improve competency? And then you can look at process. Now, one of the things in business, and this is kind of where e-com comes in, is that people say, well, how could we potentially sell more? The benefit of e-com is that you might have a bricks and mortar location, but that bricks and mortar location is only ever going to get 10,000 people walk past it per day. And it can only do X amount of sales per day. And, you, can, you know, maybe it's a busy road and it's a bricks and mortar petrol station. It's only ever going to be able to sell X amount per day. And, and that's going to kind of be the number. And to scale the bricks and mortar, we need to start to say, okay, we need more locations. And we need to start looking at where are the buyers that have got the money to spend that it's, you know, numbers of people buying coffees or numbers of people filling up cars with petrol. Um, and, and think about how many times a week you get petrol for your car or month or never, you know, um, or coffees that you buy or times that you go out. And then you think about your community and the age of your community start to go down into your avatar of, of who you're selling to. 
to get to capacity, the benefit obviously of e-com is that you, if you can build a website that doesn't cop a denial of service attack, you can have an evergreen shop. You can start to look at other markets that are open when you're closed. So you can look at other time zones. You can look at other demographics. You can look at other industries, other marketplaces. And I like to think of e-com as say a house that's got four fronts, you know? So it's not a front door and a back door. It's got four front doors and the customers see a different facade and they're coming in that facade to the store. And maybe they're coming into a landing page that's got a different bundle or a different package. But at the end of the day, maybe you've got that one kind of, you know, if you've got like, like you've got your bricks and mortar location, or maybe you're looking at 3PL distribution where you've got picking and packing and dispatch in a third party logistics center. Um, so you're starting to look at analyzing, okay, the first capacity builder is your people. How can we do that? And then you can start, can we wrap some of these problems in tech? And so that's what I've done. So I've, so I was, before I started my business, I was public speaking every day, running training courses. When I started my business, I was like, there's got to be a way to do a better way to do this. And 20 years ago, I tried to go video. It wasn't possible. You couldn't host video on websites. It was too much bandwidth. I, I remember asking my web designer, I wanted the banner on my website to be a video and moving. He's like, ago. yeah, <laughs> he's like, it'll never be done. It can never be done. Every single fucking website right now has got moving images yeah. behind the banner or the watermark or whatever's behind it. But so what, what we did was we kind of, then I kind of looked and looked and looked and looked and I stumbled on an e-com platform. So we've got an e-com part to our business. And I was like, great, I can record these videos. I found a hosting platform. We've now got 18,500 students in our training academy. So, and for me, I recorded the video once and those people come in, they can buy and they can keep consuming that online content. Mm -hmm. So Spotify is a good example of that for a musician. So you can, you can upload your content. You're not printing CDs. You know, there would have been a capacity at one point in time. We couldn't print any more CDs. We need more CD printers. Now we go to Spotify, you can have people streaming that content all over the world. And all I've got to do is make sure that the server that's got that music on it has got enough doors open yeah. to allow people to be, to be pulling that content. Yeah. We're so blessed these days with the technology oh that we God. have, right? <laughs> to increase productivity. Yep, I think yep. for me, most people that say, oh, I, I need to become more productive, it's there's there's no trick like for me most people i think if you just take an hour off each day and spend that on planning rather than doing the work and the action you're going to yeah. get yeah yeah fucking way more things done that's actually moving the needle forward to closer to where you want to be um now speaking of being close to where you want to be talk to me about goal setting how do you recommend that people your consulting clients that you do goal setting to ensure that you have the highest chance of success and you're getting there as quickly as possible because everyone wants to get from point where they are now to their dream life as soon as they can how can setting goals help them achieve that so i i mean i, I let me talk about personal and professional let mm -hmm. me talk about personal first and then i'll talk about business second i have i go to the stationery store and i buy the uh, an a3 sketchbook mm -hmm. um, i really love pencils and so I just get a, like an HB pencil or a B pencil uh, and a blank sketchbook with some really nice paper and I mind map and I kind of think about things that I want to do. Um, I've tried the Google Doc with 100 things on it. I've tried sticky notes on my phone. I've tried that. I really love a, an eraser and a pencil and, a, and I can kind of just sketch and doodle and, and think about things and kind of write things that, are, you know, if, if like if today – I didn't, money was no object and I could go and do whatever I want. What would I do? And anyone who's saying go to Greece, that's only good for a couple of days and then it gets boring and then you want to get into something. So I love businesses. I love doing business. Yeah, I love family time. I just spent the weekend out on my amazing boat. Um, but it's good to come back and, and get back into the trenches. And I, I, I'm a worker. I enjoy doing that. But the, I think there's a lot to be said for 
just get rid of the technology. Technology is designed to service dopamine. You don't want to be serving yourself dopamine when you're trying to plan. So I think pen and paper or pencil and paper, the great thing about pencil and razor is I don't like that goal. I'll just scrub it out. Um, but I think that, I think that that's how I do that. Um, and I've been doing that consistently for a very long time. I think the vision board thing is really interesting. I think magazines and scissors and glue and scrapbooking um, is a really great thing. And it gives you permission to kind of be creative, but I, I haven't seen anybody successfully do it with tech because um, it's kind of there and it's kind of, yeah, and this is how I'm going to do it. And they're more concentrating on the features of the app than the actual journey that you're, you're, you're picturing yourself. Find somewhere nice to sit, somewhere quiet, ideally. Um, I do it really early in the morning with a cup of coffee. I love really nice, freshly ground beans and black coffee. Um, and I've got a, my house is amazing. So I've got a beautiful view and I can sit and do that. But I always get myself where there's some, where there's a nice view, um, where I can kind of look out. And, and if that is go to the neighborhood where you'd like to be and, and, and sit on the side of the street or in your car or in a park in that neighborhood where you'd like to live, do your goal setting there. Cause it, yeah. you, and just keep going back to that neighborhood and, and you will eventually meet people in that neighborhood and you might get the inside scoop on a cheap place to buy in that neighborhood or rent in that neighborhood. That's how you'll get to that neighborhood. Yeah. If you want to be, don't just dream about being there, go there and visit. Yeah. Like, don't go somewhere else with your friends on the weekend. Just go and walk around the neighborhood on the weekend because you're there. Like you don't need to kind of be in the house to be there. Put yourself there now and start yeah. surrounding yourself with those people. So I think there's two parts to that goal setting. It, there's the kind of the goal setting and the dreaming. And there's like, actually, there's nothing stopping me from catching the bus down there right now and going for a walk around, just walking the, the sidewalk, saying hello to everybody, like being part of the neighborhood. Like, and you don't need the watch or the shirt or the car or any of that kind of crap to be wherever you want to be. Just go and enjoy it. You know, and enjoy what they're enjoying. They happen to sleep there. But once it's dark, you can't see anything anyway. So be there during the day. Okay, let's talk about business. Business is really simple. It's four questions. In thinking about the next three months, what does success look like? In thinking about the last three months, what went wrong? In thinking about the next three months, what could go wrong? And the fourth question is the clanger. What are we doing about that? Yeah. <laughs> right? And so... Quarterly is really important. So um, I don't know why I've ended up talking about religious holidays, but Christmas isn't very far around the corner. Yeah. That's only three months away. So for your business or my business or what you guys are doing, think, in thinking about the next, but what would I like to have done by the end of 2022? What would I like to have done by the end of, you know, whether you're in the Northern Hemisphere Q1 or here in Australia, end of Q3 for 2023? And, and, and then what kept me busy? And, and kind of back to productivity and goal setting, this, these, where these things link together, often to be able to achieve your goals, you got to learn how to say no to stuff. you got to make space to achieve your goals. And if you're just randomly wearing busy as a badge of honor, then you're not getting anywhere. I don't check my emails till three or four o'clock in the afternoon. I don't. And it's very frustrating for everybody that works with me. If you need me, text me or call me. Don't send me an email. I'll get to the email. But email comes off the, it's a tech that was evolved off the back of an in-tray on someone's desk where people sent memos. I started my career in an office where we didn't have email. We got a sheet of paper. We wrote memo at the top, which was a template to this person, this person, and the message. And we walked past their desk because they weren't in the office and we put it in their in-tray. Those memos turned into emails. They're not designed. It's not designed to be an instantaneous form of communication, right? Very hard to convey tone, very hard to convey the message. And I know that, you know, anybody after millennial is much better at, you know, text-based messaging and kind of gets the, 
emotional resilience part of it. I'm not built that way. So don't email me. You know, I, I live and breathe on, my dad taught me to get on the blower, yeah. make the phone call, worst case text message. So from a productivity perspective, I'm very productive because I'm not reacting to someone else until the afternoon. I do my best work in the morning when I'm fresh. I've had a good night's sleep, cup of coffee and the adrenaline kicks in and off we go doing the things that are really important. It's the big, hairy, chunky, ugly shit I don't want to do while I'm fresh and motivated. Not when I'm tired and thinking about what am I going to cook for dinner and I've got to get my son from here and do that, doing that big, ugly stuff. It's in the morning. But the business stuff's really interesting. You can just change the time frame in thinking about the next 12 months, what does success look like? And thinking about the next 12 months, what could go wrong? Thinking about the last 12 months, what went, what went wrong? Kept us busy. What are we doing about that? If you want some more help, what are we doing about that? Who's doing it? What are they doing? When are they doing it? How are they doing it? Where are they doing it? Who, what, when, where, how, why? If you write those things down, that's a plan. Yeah. That's your business plan. Yeah. And people can so easily these days overcomplicate everything. Oh, it gets right? so complicated. Yeah. And you've got to live in quarterlies. Like you've like I think people kind of, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to be amazing. We're going to change the world. Great. Distractions will come up. You are not perfect. And 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 it's gonna hold you back. And why will you succeed when others failed? Why are you better? Um, I got I, I can go on all day for this kind of stuff, but yeah. why why are you better than the other guy? Uh, just on price, do not go in to be cheaper and better. That's Rolls Royce didn't do that. Rolls Royce and Bentley said we're going to be better and more, most expensive. If you want to be better, be most expensive. The easiest way to differentiate, and I'm going to be really quick with some of these points. The easiest way to differentiate you to your competitor if you're better quality is how fucking price. You don't need to say I'm better because of this, 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 and this. You just say we're more expensive. We're better. Why are you more expensive? Ah, uh, we're better. Yeah. You know? So, you know, so the other guy's going to go, we're better and we're cheaper. I'll say, okay, what did you leave out of it? You know? So, so I think, you know, there's, there's kind of lots to that, but the productivity thing, both in business and in personal, it kind of relates to goals. I think my final point on goals is something that, that I've learned kind of, I, I knew to do this, but I learned the words from Grant Cardone, if you follow some of his content, which is 10 exit. And someone came up to me the other day. It's like, you know, I just want to, I just want to get to a point where I've got a million bucks in the bank. It's like, I've got a million. I've actually got more than a million dollars in the bank. It's not a fuck enough. Yeah. You know, no, no way. No <laughs> so way. it's, it's, um, so, so it's something that, um, you know, the 10 X rule, which is, you know, I kind of, you know, I've thought about that a lot, but you've literally got a 10 X. And so the next phase that I'm going into is the 10 X phase. Mm -hmm. So I kind of achieved a couple of goals I set for myself. Um, I've achieved them. Uh, I did kind of half 10X them. I kind of 5X them. Um, but my next one is like, it would be unethical of me not to go again at a multiple of 10 or even a multiple of 20 because it causes massive action. Yeah. And that's my plan. Mm, that's interesting. I feel like, and obviously you've gone through a tremendous little period and transaction with your business. That's very mm. exciting. Um, I want to ask like, what's, what's next? What's, what's the big plan? Where's the next, you know, 12 months yeah. looking like? For yeah. You? Look, I've got a couple of, you know, if, if you want to kind of think about goal setting, I use a thing called the wheel of life. Yeah. So there's some spiritual stuff. There's some skills stuff. There's relationship stuff. There's fun and friends stuff. There's professional development. You know, there's different aspects and you can Google image search wheel of life. I got a couple of things. I've got an 11 year old son. He starts high school next year and 
I didn't see my dad and, you know, he was building a business and then it kind of failed. So I'm trying to be, you know, trying to be available for family time without being kind of too in amongst it, if that makes sense. So what I'm focusing on doing is creating uh, opportunities for family experience. We have an incredible boat. Yeah. Like it's, it up, right? yeah, it's, it. it's still going. Yeah. Um, but like yesterday, we had 10 kids doing bombs off the roof of it. Yeah, yeah. It's an old school super yacht. Yeah. Um, and we had 10 kids on the back, you know, there's, there's little boats that they can play with and like a massive swim plat, pad yeah. out the back lily pad. And so my goal is to, with the distractions and influences that I foresee in our society over the next five to 10 years, if I create the, the situation, like, you know, the farm that's on the river where we can water ski, his mates are going to be, we want to be with us we're doing cool stuff, yeah. not out running wild in the city at night, you know, doing every chemical that's available to mankind. Yeah. So if I can create a healthy, active lifestyle, a lifestyle for my family where he, my 11 year old's educated about the next, like he knows I've lectured him. I've inspired him. He is responsible. I've built a certain amount of wealth for our family. His job now is to grow that. Mm. And he's 11. So on our dining room table are books on investing in real estate and 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 that kind of stuff. He's seeing that. He's being influenced by that. So if you want to influence kids, don't force it down their throat. Just be sitting on the couch reading a real estate book or reading an investing book or reading a business book, not on your device. Your kids will be the mirrors of you. And and as a parent, I want, you know, I want that. And my dad kind of, def not on purpose, but he did that. He was running a business and meeting clients and a lot of our family holidays were around site visits and, you know, he's an incredible architect, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so you're going through building sites and that kind of stuff. So the kind of what's next is starting to do some stuff that I kind of fell into this business. Now I'm choosing, I've got some incredible formulas uh, that I'm following that I've learned that I want to redeploy uh, in terms of what businesses I invest in, uh, what we do next in terms of meaningful work, what legacy we leave, but more importantly, family is first. So it's focusing on family, focusing on relationships, focusing on friends because I've had my head down yeah. and I'm kind of like, right. So there's a couple of things I want to do. I want to go and drive an excavator for a month and work on a building site because yeah. I've always wanted to do that. I don't need to earn any money. And yeah. so I've got some friends and I've told a friend of mine, he's like, I'm going to charge you for that. <laughs> um, so, um, so that's one friend. I've got some friends who are working on old boats. I'm going to go and help them for a little while. Yeah. Um, I've got heaps of investing going on. Um, you know, we've got a fund that we're starting um, and, and well, we kind of already had it started. We're just doing more. Um, and, and obviously the family side of things, I've got some road trips planned. I love old stuff, old cars, old yeah. boats. Um, you know, we've got some restorations, old houses, got some restorations happening. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a fair bit going on, but there's the super exciting thing is we've got a book coming out one July. Nice. So a lot of this has been put into a book. Yeah. We've held the book back, uh, cause of this transaction we've just done. So it's ready to go. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's coming out, uh, that'll be coming out, uh, probably around about the 1st of July, 2023. Yeah. Uh, we've got another book that's just starting after Christmas sales and marketing book. So, so the book that's coming out is how to build a business others want to buy. Um, it, that's kind of the working title. We, we're, we're yet to kind of finish it off. Yeah. We're with the publishers next month. Um, but the manuscript's done. Uh, the next book, sales and marketing. Uh, my grandfather wrote a marketing book and published it in 1933. So we're kind of building off that. Uh, that'll be coming out next year. So look for me on the on on your your bookshelves. You know, if you're watching this, uh, you know, later on after the recording, and and you're seeing it down the track, look out, look in your bookstores, kind of mid next year. We've got two books coming out next year. Yeah. And how was that 
um, process of exiting a business that people wanted to buy? What did that look like for you in a couple of minutes? How look, was it? Look, um, what I can say to you is that um, you won't be ready to drink champagne uh, to celebrate. You'll be like gasping for air, dehydrated, cramping up, um, bleeding out on the table. Um, and, and it is literally like a Dave Goggins thousand kilometer marathon. And, yeah. and I think that, I think that success, unfortunately is, is kind of being, you know, being put into images on Instagram. That's not the truth. The truth is that on the day that, you know, on the day that the day before our transaction, um, I had literally $7,000 left in the bank because I was funding the transaction on our side and, and I couldn't take any cash flow out of my business because we were kind of in a freeze for four months. And so I didn't pull any dividends. I didn't pull any wages or salaries. Um, and, uh, you know, in kind of like freezing the account. So it was really easy to do the analysis. And so we kind of didn't take any money and, and I wasn't ready for that because it kind yeah. of came out of the blue. And so, you know, I've got screenshots, which maybe we'll show, you know, in a couple of years time of $7,000 and then more than eight figures, yeah, you know? And yeah. so, you know, that kind of thing, and, and we're not all the way through the, the, the thing yet, but that for me was, you know, my, my lawyer rang me, says, oh, you can go home and have a glass of champagne now. I was like, dude, I'm going home to have a cup of tea and a sleep. Yeah. Um, because we were 16 weeks of due diligence, 400 questions. Um, if, if you're ready to feel violated, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that is, it's going to be, and I've spoken to a few of my mates that have done similar transactions and they're like, it's the most violated you're ever going to feel in your life. Yeah. Um, and so if you've got skeletons in your business, they're, they're going to be found. Yeah. Um, and if they're not found today, they're going to be found down the track right at the time. You know, I've signed, I've signed. 30 pages of there's 15 warranties per page in this part of the contract. And there's 30 warranty, there's 30 pages of 15 warranties per page. Wow. That's a lot of warranties in terms of like what we're, you know, what we're signing over Yeah, because we, we, I sold the shares. Um, and, and that the company that, you know, it kind of to, to kind of come back, I've taken my company as far as I think I can take it. Mm -hmm. And I'm super keen to see it go to the next level. Yeah, And so these guys have come in, they've, they've said, Hey, we want to take your business to the next level. Um, you know, we've got an incredible skill set. They do. Um, it's a global company. Um, it's a, it's an incredible parent company that's come on board. They're doing some incredible stuff and I'm super excited for them because there's going to be significant career, career opportunities for our team yeah. already playing out. Uh, there's, there's great skill sets. There's great talent. It's a much bigger team. It's super exciting, which is why I fundamentally agreed. It wasn't about the money. It was about this business growing and going to the next thing. It's a thing that I started from nothing from an $8,000 tax return. That was our startup capital. And off we went and bootstrapped the whole way that now our team gets to take it to the next level. And so they're joining with some incredible people with some incredible opportunities, robust contracts and job descriptions and all the kind of stuff that I've kind of pulled together. They're now joining this bigger corporate, which has got HR departments and all that kind of stuff. So even though we became a big organization, these guys are now in the, into the, at the parent level, thousands of employees. Yeah. And that is super exciting. People are already exploring international opportunities. People coming to Australia to join our team, people going overseas to join other teams. It's absolutely fantastic. Not only that, our customers get to access all these incredible other services. So there's a whole bunch of complementary services where it's not just about going to a one-stop shop like a supermarket because you can't always get 
the best of everything. But certainly these guys have said, we're not going to be everything, but we're going to be in these 10 areas, we're going to be the best of the best. And so it's an aggregated group that complements. Mm. So it's super exciting and I'm super, super proud to be working with these guys. I'm working yeah. with them for another nine months. Um, and, and I'll continue to support them like yeah. long term. I'm not yeah. going back into that industry, um, specifically the certification business. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a lot, um, but, but about due diligence, I think the best thing you could do if you're, if you're a startup and you're thinking that there's a sale transaction or a private equity transaction down the track, get ready for your due diligence today. And you can Google checklists and you can kind of find that kind of stuff and start informing yourself you must have a healthy balance sheet. You must have a healthy P&L. That's the starting point. Um, and I think if you're a business that is burning cash and you're planning to just keep raising, you're going down the wrong track. Because when you're raising, you're giving away ownership. I sold, I owned on the day I sold my company, 100%. No capital, no outside parties. That is the best transaction you can ever do is, is, sell, is own and then sell 100%. So I think that... Um, entrepreneurship and capital raising have been glamorized. And the reality is what you really want to be doing is funding your business with customers. Yeah. You get, you go and see a customer like what you did, right? Day one. Oh my God, ching. It went off and, and then off you go. And so, yes, there are some problems in the world that can be solved with money and they become businesses that do meaningful work. Don't get me wrong, but for, 90% of the people that are listening and watching just bootstrap because you will own hundred percent of it. You'll be hundred percent in control. You can kind of make decisions and you can keep moving and you can be dynamic. As soon as you get other parties involved, they've got other agendas. They want to five X their money in five years. And you might get to a point where you go, actually, you know what? I'm going to sell or actually this is so good. I'm going to keep. So with that in, in mind, what you just said, um, if you were starting again, you're 25 years old, but you have the knowledge and experience you have now, you didn't have a whole lot of, let's just say you have 10, 15 grand cash in the bank mm -hmm. and you wanted to build something bigger, that the, a vehicle that could, you know, allow you mm -hmm. to launch all these things off the back of that. What sort of business would you start now? Look, and, and my answer to this question is contextualized with a macroeconomic climate right now at the end of 2022. We're going into a period of uncertainty and it's not uncertain if you look at micro, macroeconomic cycles over the last 40 years. I think for anyone who's kind of 20, you're like, what the fuck is happening in the world right now? Um, I'm 47 and I've seen a number of cycles. Plus early on, my family were looking at it. I would be looking at a food subscription business um, and I'd be looking at low down, not high end. I'd be looking at low down, the kind of stuff that people are looking at or buying every day. Mm. So people are still time poor, but people are going to be eating out less. So I would be looking at, aggregated boxed food, particularly in CBD areas like this. Um, and I'd be taking the Uber Eats convenience, but taking that to food convenience and I would be looking at less processed. So I'd be looking at um, getting a group of friends together, going to the markets, um, getting a bunch of boxes, like buying bulk oranges, apples, bananas, lettuce, whatever, uh, in a box on delivered to your doorstep for 19 bucks. Um, you know, and, and, or $29. And so that the person who might be inclined to be, so the Uber Eats person is going to come back to a little bit more cooking at home because they're, because their income's being cut a little, um, and, but they're still time poor. And so you want to be managing that. And I think that's where I'd be looking. Why do I say 
that because a subscription business is a recurring revenue business. And if you can get someone on a subscription and if you can get people at kind of a 12-month subscription that you'll do that, then that business has actually got a significant value that if you can keep building that business, you've got an investor down the track is going to come in. If you can get money in advance, like so, so say say weekly subscription that's paid three months in advance, there's your working capital from your customers on day one. Yep. And so your customers are invested in your business and then you can make it successful and build from there. So you've alluded to it a couple of times, but at a, at a higher level, where do you see business and the economy as a, as a whole going in the next three to five years? If you look at the S&P 500, if you look at the ASX 200, if you look at the Dow Jones, if you look at any of those charts, they are topping. And when I, when I say topping, they look like a big, tall ice mountain that's been built like Everest and, and they're falling off the other side. Um, and the reality is, is I know a lot of people that have made a lot of money over the last 15 years and they don't know what to buy next because nothing's cheap enough. And when I say buy next, it's the next business, the next investment. And a lot of them are sitting on cash. They're not sitting on cash because people think like Warren Buffett is sitting on cash because like the market's topping. He's like, no, he just doesn't, there's nothing cheap enough that he wants to buy that is a good investment right now. Yeah. And so when I say that, what you could Google if you want to learn about this stuff is look at the Wall Street cheat sheet. It's an image. So you do Google images search, Wall Street cheat sheet, and it shows bell curves or market cycles. It shows ups and it shows downs. Something goes significantly up, it's got to come significantly down. Mm. I won't name names, but one of my friends, <laughs> he invested in a particular stock 10 years ago and halfway along the journey took out his investment. He continued to make so much money that he bought a $2 million boat with just a percentage of that money. And he's like, this is my share price. This is my share boat. And so those people are wait, sitting back waiting for it to drop. And so I think from a business perspective, when we have climates like this, we've got a significant labor shortage. We've got significant supply chain disruption. There's a fuse in there somewhere that has to break. We've got interest rates going up. We've got inflation. And so I can remember a time when my dad was driving an incredible car, house prices were raging, um, people were earning money, everyone's eating out, all that kind of stuff. And then we went into a winter. And so we've just had house prices raging, people driving cool cars. We've had this opulence era. All it to, is to me is like, all right, we're back to that point again. When I was in that influential point in my life, it was really expensive for people to go overseas traveling. And unless you were doing really well, you didn't go overseas. And I'm like, the last 10 years, 15 years, I'm like, how the fuck can these people afford to go overseas? Like, I'm from that era. And so now we're looking at it as like, fucking everyone can travel anywhere in the world. And like, it seems to be that no one needs any money anymore. So I, I believe we're going into that era. So when you do that, the best thing you can be doing if you're thinking about business ideas is look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and have subscription recurring boring businesses at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like there will be a certain amount of people that pull back on cleaners, for example, but people will still need their premises to be clean. The swimming pools that are already built still need to be cleaned. Lawns need to be mowed. Gardens need to be trimmed. They are still businesses that kind of sit at that level of looking after dwellings, contractors doing maintenance on houses, the really opulent areas of wherever you live, those houses will still need to be maintained. So there's nothing wrong with being a tradie doing maintenance work. Not Don't just look for project-based stuff. 
look at for stuff that's reoccurring and then train and empower people to join you on that journey of doing that service, whatever it might be, whether it's fixing gutters or roofs or painting walls or doing doors or, or bathrooms or kitchens or, or making food um, or, 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 or helping people eat or inspiring people to cook or doing that kind of stuff, all that stuff that's at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the human race needs it on an ongoing basis. And so if you can live with doing it on a recurring basis and not getting bored, then you're going to make a lot of money over a long period of time. Farmers that just plant and grow wheat every year or farmers that just have lambs and they just their farm just makes lambs every year or makes you know, calves from cows every year. You know, those kinds of things. Like I was chatting to a guy, he gave me some mentoring a couple of weeks ago. He's probably worth around about 500 million. And he heard what had happened and he, and he's one of my dad's friends and he called me and he said, Oh, what are you up to next? I, you know, I feel I should give you some advice. He's like, go and buy farms and get cows really, because people still need food. And so for a lot of people that can be really boring, but it's the boring businesses. And I just sold one of the, what could be construed as one of the most boring businesses on the planet, but I made it exciting. Yep. They are the kinds of businesses that have, they are just serving humanity. Yes, we want to be the next Canva or the next Atlassian or the next Facebook, but there's a lot of businesses out there that are roasting nuts or, mm. or picking flowers. You know, I bought for my wife, I'll give final example. I bought for my wife a really cool gift. It's called Bloombox. Like this is a plug for them. They fucked it up the first couple of times, but it's a bloody great service now. You get this beautiful box delivered every second Thursday morning for 1500 bucks a year. I don't have to think about buying fucking flowers anymore. Yeah. Every Thursday we have a fresh bunch of flowers gets delivered. They last about a week and a half. Yeah. I bought the vase and the scissors. She gets this, you know, I get this text message at midnight on a, you know, every second Thursday they've been delivered out to the front door. We've got fresh flowers, 1500 bucks. You know, I'd go and buy flowers, $250, $300 for a bunch of flowers. I'm like, this is cheap and they're fresh and this dude's making me look like a superstar. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great example of now that business is worth a lot of money because investors love subscriptions. They love recurring revenue. So you're an investor. You got a million dollars. You want to put it somewhere. Am I going to get my million bucks back? Is it going to throw off a dividend? People want recurring revenue. They want passive income. Well, if you're a person who wants passive income, what do you think investors want? They want passive income. So build a business that creates income that you sell to someone and they get their passive income. Now, someone that's going to have substantial money in the bank for the this whatever the dip looks like, what what sort of opportunities are you keeping your eyes open for in terms of where to throw some of this cash when the time is right, when things are at the top? Yeah, look, we're right now we're looking at uh, private banks um, and funding private banks. So private banks have obviously private people that fund. Yeah. Um, so so we're we're looking at that. Uh, we're definitely looking at real estate. I know real estate. I'm really good at it. Uh, we're looking at, um, when we when I say real estate, we're looking at a couple of things. Um, Airbnb is still a thing. So we're looking at real estate that's got an Airbnb aspect yep. to it. Um, so people kind of pulling back on massive international spend to domestic spend. That's a trend I think is going to play out for a long time. Um, we're looking at um, obviously construction. Um, and I think that Although construction's got some issues right now in, in materials and supply, um, that is th th there's kind of a few issues associated with that. Um, housing approvals and submissions are way down at the moment. But the reason why they're way down is because the net immigration into Australia in the last 24 months because of COVID has been negative. Yeah. So it's the first time in Australia's history that we've had negative population growth. Uh, 
as soon as they crank that up, because we need labor, people are going to realize great place to live. They're going to flood in. It's just that the airlines have just got to get their shit sorted out and then we'll have immigrants again. Then we're going to need more houses. We're going to need more that kind of stuff. So um, those are the things I'm looking at. Um, um, that, you know, there's some, there's some interesting stuff happening on some of the stock exchanges, um, both Wall Street, obviously Australia, um, so from an investment perspective, but I'm looking at businesses. Yeah. I'm good at business and I'm looking at startups um, and I'm looking at both uh, economic value into startups but also sweat equity. Yeah. So um, I'm interested in hearing more from people. The book I'm writing is all about building business um, and, and, and basically, you know, looking at equity share in terms of helping people build, build their businesses. And, and I'll be looking – to invest in businesses at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, smart. Mm. Have you heard of uh, Alex Omozzi? Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah acquisition.com. So he's, you know, he's got some great content. Um, you know, I think that, you know, if you want some sales advice, you know, yeah, he's got great stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just, you know, I'd, I'd really like to see Alex kind of just clean up the image a little bit, you know, because he's got some incredible content and he's yeah. going to switch people off because he's sitting there in Crocs and yeah. jeans and a, and a T-shirt, you know. To be honest, man, that's what I love about him. Fuck, fuck showing, like, just be you, He just you, does man. not like, care. That's that, exactly That's right, why yeah. I love him so much. Like, the, yeah, but yeah, to yeah. be honest, I, I agree with what you said because the first time I'd seen him pop up, I'm like, oh, whatever, what's this? But then you watch a few of his videos and, like, I'm learning. I'm getting so much value out of mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. um, we've already gone for an hour and a half. I want to ask you one last question. <laughs> Go we ahead. Can keep going for another hour easily. But as someone who I know is a massive reader, probably read hundreds. Honestly, this is not an exaggeration, if not thousands of books, right? For someone that's in the process about to start or starting their first business, if you were to recommend three books to them, what three books would you recommend? I think the first book every entrepreneur or business owner or business leader, anyone, let's say business leader, has to really start with Why by Simon Sinek. The, the, the gold nugget in that book is on the cover. Start with why. Why, you know? Um, so because if some one of your staff members is pushing back, it's like, why the fuck do I have to do this? Why was in there, right? It's like, yeah. well, if you start with why, then they'll understand. They won't push back and say, why the fuck, you know? Uh, so I think start with why. I think you've got to learn to sell. So I think you're either selling ideas, you're selling concepts, you're, you're selling someone, can you please do this for me? So I think you've got to read The Way of the Wolf by Jordan, Bo Jordan, Jordan Belfort. Um, and, and I think that what Jordan stumbled upon was a mechanism to influence people that's got a bit of a matrix to it. Um, so, you know, every sale or every influence, whether you're trying to like, you know, get that amazing partner or special person in your life or whether you're trying to close a deal, whether you're trying to raise capital as much as I disagree with that, but whether you're trying to raise capital, get customers, understand that every sale has an open and a close and a number of stages. And it starts with massive information gathering. Once you understand the full situation, the problem ethically, you know whether you've got the solution to the problem instead of being the greasy salesperson, yeah. and then you present your solution as it matches, you know, the evidence from your due diligence, and then you work on the close, and then you build trust in yourself, the brand, and obviously the product or service. Yeah. So I think that Jordan Belfort's book on the way of the wolf, and and forget the debauchery of the movie, focus on the selling system, um, you know, and whether that's you as a leader. Uh, or whether that's you as a salesperson in the first instance. And then from a sales and marketing perspective, it'll help you build your avatar. Book number three, I'm going to give you a really, uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you a really, really technically advanced book. If you are serious about building and growing businesses, you need to look to the firms 
that are the most serious about this. And McKinsey's is one of those firms and they've got a good book called Beyond the Hockey Stick. And what that does in that book right in the middle of the gold nugget breaks out the kinds of businesses that the really big businesses focus on and at what points in time in economies. So things like if one wants to be recognized as being successful in business, then one must first join a successful business, you know, not try and grow a pig, if that makes sense. So what McKinsey's are saying is like, if you want to be really successful, look for the tailwind, you know, and that's going to help you go faster. Uh, look for the geographic opportunity, look for the market opportunity. And it kind of breaks that down into 10 parts right in the middle of the book. So McKinsey's beyond a hockey stick. I've got to give you a bonus book. Okay. Human psychology is, is everything from a leadership perspective, from everything that's happening inside business perspective. So you have to read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. That is the book that changed my life as I started to understand that we have two thinking systems. We have this fast thinking system and the, the slow thinking system. The fast thinking system is just, you know, when we're drunk and we're kind of just talking to people, it's conversational. You're on autopilot in the morning, you drove somewhere, you don't even remember how you got there. Um, and then there's the slow thinking system, which is where you do the deep work. And it's, and he worked out how you can actually trigger the slow thinking system, put the body under stress, um, pull back on its sugar content. You know, the, 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 the brain itself actually will consume the most amount of blood sugar actually doing the work of thinking. So if you're on, um, sorry, I got it the wrong way around. If you're on a low, if you're low blood sugar, you're not going to be able to think straight. Yeah. Um, if you are doing exercise. So you're running up a hill, like we're both sprinting up a massive hill together, you know, personal training, running, 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 getting harder and harder and harder. And I turn to you and say, what's 127 times 352? You can literally picture yourself stopping. I've got to fucking think about that. I can't <laughs> run and think, right? Yeah. So we can have a conversation as we're jogging along, but we need to stop and think. That's because your brain needs sugar to process. And so um, understanding what happens when the body's under stress, understanding what people's cognitive biases are, um, you know, you might, you might not like a supplier's proposal because you don't like the font. Fuck that. It's probably the best thing that can happen to your business, but you just don't like it because there's a spelling mistake. So I think thinking fast and slow is the bonus book. It's a hard, hard read. It's heavy duty text. Yeah. It's a university thesis. He got the, he won the Nobel prize in science and economics for that particular book. It's heavy duty. I couldn't read it and I literally had to do a 2,600-kilometre drive somewhere and I listened to the audio book and then I came back and read the book. So they're my four books that you must buy and put in your business books library. And I think if you want to be successful in business, you've got to have a shelf and you've got to have books and you have to write in the books and you have to, you know, highlighters. And, and I don't necessarily agree with Audible. I think... I think Alex Formosi recommends Audible and book. Like, listen, earbuds, listening to it and reading it at the same time, and that is like using two senses to pump it in, and, and I agree with that. But, but I think that Audible, I, you haven't read a book if you've listened to Audible. You've listened to a book. Yeah. And, and I think that for me, all of my books are texts. And yeah. as you pointed out, I've got a library of over 500 business books, yeah. um, and, and I've read thousands. Um, I keep the best of the best. They've all got dog-eared pages. They've got coffee stains. They've got notes, highlighter, pencils, pens. Um, and it's driving my wife crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm a visual learner, so I need to read a book. I was listening so, – like some – like books that are about stories, like the the Richard Branson ones about his life. Mm -hmm, I listened to that mm -hmm, on Audible. Mm -hmm. But I was listening – I tried to listen to The Richest Man in Babylon on Audible. Mm -hmm. Like there's too much I fucking want to know from these. If I yeah, actually yeah, want to yeah, know yeah, stuff, yeah. I need it 
in yeah. front of me to read it, stop, digest, think about it. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how's it relevant? How is it practical in my life? How can I then use that? Yeah, like I, one of my favorite business books ever, um, Shoe Dog. Mm-hmm. I first listened to it on Audible. It was amazing. So then I read a book. Yeah, yeah. And then perfect. Like, yeah, yeah, perfect. So perfect. I think um, my, sorry to cut you off, my yeah. final tip on books is the biggest trap we can fall into, <coughs> excuse me, is opening the front page and trying to get to the back. I cheat. I go straight to the contents page. So I've I've given the author my $30, you yeah. know, or 35 bucks, or in some instances $500 for some of the books I've got. Um, I, I go to the contents page and I look at the contents page and I kind of catalog that in my head. Right, this book is talking about these challenges um, or this book is talking about this subject matter. I look for what would interest me the most and I go straight to that part of the book because I'm asking the author – to sell me on the concept that I'm going to invest my time in this particular book. So I'll read that chapter. If I like it, I'll read the next, you know, four and aft or before and after uh, chapters. And then if that, those three chapters get me, then I'll go to the start and I'll finish the book. Mm-hmm. Now I started that philosophy. I picked up how to build an empire by Elena Cardone. I read a, um, <laughs> we're out of time, um, the phone. Um, so um, so I, I, I'll pick up where I left off. So I picked up How to Build an Empire by Elena Cardone mm-hmm. and I read the middle chapter. The book is so good that I read both sides of it and I went back and I literally didn't put the book down for 24 hours. Yeah. So it's kind of you want to catalog it and then you want to have these books available because they become your formulas, secrets, answers to problems and challenges that are going to come up later on down the track in business that all of these authors have experienced. And so you've got this incredible opportunity to have all these mentors. You don't need to go and buy coffee for people and chase people all over different cities. They've, they're right at your local bookstore or they're right on Amazon. And for 30 bucks, you can get it and read it. And I think if it comes back to some of those people that might want to work with you, if anyone's watching this and you want to be around us, consume all of our online content, consume the author's online content, read their book. Then if you've still got questions, go and ask the questions. Mm-hmm. And final question for anyone who wants to learn more about you, anything we just spoke about, where's the best place people can find you? So three great places, um, kobysimmet.com, kobysimmet on Instagram and kobysimmet on LinkedIn. We'll have all your links there and there we're done. See, that's what happens. The alarm goes off when you go way over (laughs) what you expected. So sorry about that, Coves, to cut you off. That's all right, mate. Um, but thanks again, man. There's fucking so much in that. We could have a four-hour conversation, I'm sure. So so this again. was part one. Oh, I know. There we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.